I've, I've enjoyed playing here. This has been over 20 years that I've, I've been coming to Royal Melbourne. This week, golf should be played. We love coming down under. Look, it's phenomenal to play. The quality of the golf's been great, but the enthusiasm of the people has been the thing that's just been amazing. Tier of courses that I'm willing to shave my neck for in Kingston Heath and Victoria. Get me out of bed to shave. Especially somewhere like Australia in the sand belt, and I have so many great memories of being down there. G'day and welcome to the last episode of Australian Golf Passport for 2022. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, Matt Mollica. Thanks, Scott. Merry Christmas to you too. Uh, looking forward to our final go-around for the calendar year. Should be a good one. Absolutely. Uh, before we kick off, uh, a quick, this is kind of a beta test for our listeners. We've been doing a fair bit of editing to chop out the ums and the and the long silences between us as we capture our thoughts. And one of the things that that's probably meant is there's been a few fewer episodes than we might have liked because the the job of editing is a pretty lengthy one, kind of saps our will to live during busy weeks working and having families. So we're just going to top and tail this one and put it straight out without any love. We're keen for listeners to let us know what you think. If you think that it sucks without you know the polished audio, let us know. We'll edit. Uh, but the more I listen to other podcasts, Matty, the more I hear the sorts of verbal ticks and silences and repeating of yourself that I cut out of our podcast. And it's made me think maybe we don't need to do it. So be keen to hear what listeners think. Yeah, it would certainly save us a lot of time. Uh, three or four hours work to try and edit, particularly the early ones where my thoughts just went up to scratch. There was a lot of deletion happening there. So we'll we'll see. Hopefully we do a good enough job and uh, people enjoy it. We've We've got some good subject matter to discuss this evening, so that should help us as well. Indeed. And less editing will mean more more episodes. I think our goal for next year is to do perhaps one a week. Might be might be aspirational, but I'm impressed that we've got through 12 after starting off in August this year. And again, just thank you to everyone for listening. And as I said, let us know if you think it sounds fine without editing. That's great news. If you don't like it, though, I think we're willing to put that extra work in to make sure it sounds the way it should. Now, news of the week, Matty... Lucas Michel, I don't know if we can claim a podcast bump because it was maybe three weeks after his appearance on Australian Golf Passport, but he won the Port Phillip last week uh, at Kingston Heath, which is obviously the annual stroke play, Victorian stroke play amateur event that leads into the Victorian amateur. So congratulations to Lucas. Uh, And a tournament underway this week on the Sandbelt, and we've had questions in recent episodes about how do I see these great sandbelt courses if I am a Victorian and I don't know a member and I can't go as a visitor. We've talked about going to see tournaments, and this week's a really great opportunity. Uh, look, by the time you hear this, they will have contested the first two days at Kingston Heath and Royal Melbourne of the Sandbelt Invitational. But Yarra Yarra is hosting on Wednesday, and then the final round is played Thursday at Peninsula Kingswood. So if you're hearing this before then, uh, which we're going to have it out, out in time for you to do that if you listen quickly. Get out to Yarra, get out to Potential Kingswood and watch some really great golf on terrific golf courses. Yeah, and you'll see some great players out there and some courses in fantastic condition as well. It'll be well worth the trip. Now, I might have actually cursed Lucas Michelle in the Sandbelt Invitational because I had this image in my head last night of him going deep and potentially winning it. So I texted him and said, mate, I, for what it's worth... 
I'm having this picture of you with silverware and I wanted to call my shot so that I've got receipts if it happens. Uh, and Cameron Davis leads uh, after round one on 67. And Lucas, unfortunately, got his six and his seven in the other order and shot 76. So I might have cursed him. I probably nicked him in the head. Uh, I won't do that again, but unfortunate. But get out there, see some great players playing and some incredible golf courses. And it makes me think, too, if you're getting out in Sydney and seeing incredible golf courses, the first week of January, uh, they're hosting the Australian Amateur at New South Wales. So great opportunity to get out there uh, and watch how those really elite players tackle the course. Yeah, I would love to watch that. Uh, that would that would make for some compelling viewing at both ends of the leaderboard, I imagine. You'd see one or two train wrecks if conditions aren't that great. And you'd also see some wonderful golf and some really low scores by people who are at the peak of their game. Uh, always a hotly contested trophy that should be should be really really good to see those those players venture around New South Wales. Mm. One of my one of my morbid um, interests each year is the day after the New South Wales Cup. I'll go through the leaderboard and click on on scores and look at people's rounds, and there's always some carnage. My favourite last year was a bloke who shot 90 with a 14 up the seventh. So yeah. he actually he actually had a pretty decent round apart from the 14 up seven. So, yeah, definitely some bad things can happen. But, uh, yeah, I'll look forward to seeing the other end of the field, I think, and trying to learn a thing or two off the, off the leaders. Yeah. Now, tonight we are chatting about a course that we've mentioned here and there throughout probably – three quarters of the episodes to date. It's a course that you and I both love uh, deeply, and that is Port Ferry. Yeah, ventured there on a semi-regular basis for years. Really, really eagerly anticipated every trip down there and really enjoyed every lap of the course. Uh, it's unlike almost any other course in the country, probably our most authentic Lynx experience in a wonderful setting just a, just a just a great day and a great course. Yeah, it really is. And and I have a real soft spot for courses that the land is the star of the show, and that's certainly the case at Port Ferry. I'm also a big fan of courses that mix up different types of land. So, you know, Port Ferry kind of has four holes on farmland and then 14 on Lynx land. And I like those courses that transition between that type of land smartly. Uh, Golsby, for those who've travelled a bit in Scotland, Golsby is a good example of that, where it goes from farmland to Lynxland to Heathland and back. So one of the things I quite like about Port Ferry is it does have that, you know, it's not on 150 acres of perfect dunes. It has to, has to make do with some lesser land. And I actually think those are four really interesting holes, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Yeah. There's, there's the dramatic stuff that's closer to the water in the middle of the back nine. Um, and they, they're obviously the star of the show. And we'll, we'll put some photos up of those holes for those who haven't ventured that far out of Melbourne to see the course. But you're right, there's, there's, some, there's some holes there on some less remarkable land that are really, really intelligently designed and, and great fun to play. And so you talk about those who haven't managed to get there from Melbourne. It's not, it's not a, a day trip unless you love windshield time. Talk us through, Matty, getting out of Melbourne and getting to, to Port Ferry for a weekend away or a game of golf. 
So it's about three and a half hours by car from the centre of Melbourne. Uh, you go over the Westgate Bridge and start to head west down towards the Bellarine Peninsula and, and beyond to an area known as the Shipwreck Coast. There's two main ways you can head. There's the leisurely scenic route that takes you much closer to the water and past a lot of scenery and down the Great Ocean Road. You go through little surf coast towns like Torquay and Anglesey and Lawn, uh, Aries Inlet, Apollo Bay, and it's it's a one-lane road that hugs the cliffs and you really have the shore on your left shoulder as you're heading down there. One or two have got car sick over the journey. My kids have done that in times past, heading down to Port Ferry. Um, for those who want a more direct route and a, and a faster route, there's a an inland trip where you drive from Melbourne to Geelong in the first hour, then you go through Colac, Camperdown, you end up at Warrnambool, and then you've got that little jaunt from Warrnambool to Port Ferry that's about another 15 or 20 minutes right at the very end. Now, fans of Neighbours should know that if they pass through Colac, they'll get to see the birthplace of Toadie Rebecca. Really? It's the first thing I ever learned about Colac. Okay, who knew? Um... Who knew? And Luke Hodge and Aaron Finch, you know, for maybe more less left field exports from Colac. But yeah, there we go. There's me doing Colac tourism a solid. But yeah, I remember, I don't know, it's stuck in my head. Tony Rebecca's from, from Colac. Okay. So there you go. Um, and for, for people who don't know about, you know, Great Ocean Road will will tell a lot of people, oh yeah, that's, that's that beautiful drive. I mean, for those who don't know about it, it's essentially Australia's version of Highway 1 from Santa Barbara to Monterey. You know, it's it's an incredible jaw-dropping stop every two minutes to take more photographs kind of drive. Yeah, it's it's particularly given when it was first built and opened, it's it's an it's an engineering marvel as much as anything else that that road is where it is. But there is beautiful scenery all the way along, and it it takes you past the Twelve Apostles, London Bridge. There's just beautiful coastline for hours as you drive along and there's little there's quaint little towns to stop at and and some major tourist centers along the way every so often you could spend a whole day very easily just making that drive and stopping here stopping there going a little bit further yeah there's there's great stuff to see and then at the end of that at the end of that drive like a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow there's port ferry golf club which in itself is a beautiful place to have a holiday. There's lots of Melbourne families and Victorian families from the Western District of the state that would have a ritual of going down there around this time of the year, celebrating Christmas and, and the the New Year and, and their summer holidays down at Port Ferry. Great beaches. Uh, the town's not too big. There's a few good pubs down there. Uh, there's one or two little stores and, and other uh, boutiques so there's there's some sort of retail activity for those who don't want to go onto the beach there's good food the thing um, i liked about the pubs is that they're still country pubs they've not they've not tried to mimic a swanky melbourne pub to appeal to melbournians on on a weekend away they the two that we that we went to together really just felt like you're in the country which i like yeah they've they've retained that authenticity which is Fantastic. The last thing you want to do is get down there and have your experience mirroring something that you could have had at home. 
Now I'm potentially throwing you under the bus here too in a no editing environment, but when is the famous jazz festival on in Port Ferry? Uh, I'm going to say, I think it's before Easter. Yeah, because that's obviously going to be a an attraction for some people, you know, who want to do more than just play golf on their trip down to Port Ferry. I know that that's a really, you know, popular festival for uh, for fans of jazz. So uh, there'll be there'll be lots of Port Ferry members hopefully listening to this and and not chastising us too greatly. I hope. I imagine it would be the busiest time of the year down there. There'd be a, a huge influx of of people within the town, like visitors around that time of the year. Um, I don't know if the golf club has a special event at that time. I'm, I'm going to use a get-out-of-jail-free card and say that if there's anything to do with a particular event down at Port Ferry that coincides with that festival, I'll I'll put links to that in the show notes so you can refer to those for, for more details. Excellent. So let's get to the golf course. And we mentioned you know, some of the, the great land and the understated architecture. It really is somewhere that feels, I don't know, this sounds wanky maybe, but like to me, it the word I think of is soulful. Like it's somewhere that I really feel, it just feels great to be there, like in the deepest part of your chest. It feels like it's a wonderful walk and it is really no frills. I think that's what, really strikes me compared to a lot of the golf clubs, you know, that have good golf courses that you want to go and visit in, in Australia and in Victoria, they're all kind of a bit more up, up market. Port Ferry is unapologetically a country golf club, you know, that has a country golf club atmosphere and charges country golf club prices, despite the quality of the course that you get to play. Yeah. There's, there's no great airs or graces to it. It's definitely not trying to pretend to be something that it's not. And I was I was thinking about descriptors for the course, thinking about what we talk about uh, during the, the hours I was at work today. And and it's funny that you you lead with that, Scott. I'd said I'd said to myself on two occasions, it does it it does my heart good to be on that course. Mm-hmm. And it it's not just the sea air, and it's not just the isolation from an urban environment. It's it's being on that particular plot of land and playing those holes. Um, it's 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 just a great experience. It's one of the best experiences in the game in the country. Yeah, I guess there's a reason you and I have just consistently mentioned it and encouraged people to go there even before we've got to this episode. It's just a great place to be. It's If Barn Boogle's not the best value golf in Australia, then Port Ferry is. Uh, and... It's, I, I just think it's an experience that we've talked about the folly of just using rankings lists to direct where you go on your trip. And I think, to me, the course that underpins that advice in Australia is Port Ferry. Uh, you, you will be able to see better golf courses, like objectively, you know, better in inverted commas golf courses by sticking to the well-worn paths and the sand belt and this and that, etc. But if you don't go to Port Ferry on your trip to Australia, I think you've missed a significant experience that you can't replicate by seeing any other course or doing any other thing. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Particularly if, you, if you've got some time and you're not just trying to play 36 a day every day that you're here, if you... 
if you hire a car and you drive down the Great Ocean Road and you stop in some of those surf coast towns, you play Port Ferry at the end and then you do all of the the other things that we were talking about a few moments ago to to flesh out a few days of, of holiday down in that neck of the woods, it'd be a memory that would last a lifetime. Mm. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be poorer for not having done it. Yeah. It's a pilgrim, like it's a genuine pilgrimage. Yeah. Agreed. And I think the travel, you know, that does stop some people making the journey, but I, I think about my own trips and often it's when you've got to put in some time and effort to get to a place it really, there's a feeling of accomplishment and of satisfaction to have got there and to be there. Uh, I think it's, you know, there's so much good golf that's easily accessible wherever you go. You go to Scotland, you know, you can hang around Fife and East Lothian. You go to, you know, the south of the US and you can hang around Pinehurst and there's all sorts of courses. Melbourne and the Mornington and the Bellarine are, are our version. But, yeah, sometimes you've just got to invest a bit of time and effort, I think, to see these things that, especially in their own way and can't be replicated. Yeah. I try to think of comparable courses. In the past, I think I've compared it to Ely, but Ely's such a toffee club and it's right there in Fife. I, I just, I'm less comfortable the more I think about that comp. And I was thinking maybe like, like Paraparam Beach or Brora or Naruma, even in Southern New South Wales. Maybe they're courses that are a bit more soul sisters to Port Ferry. Paraparam's the first of those. I haven't been to Brora. I'd love to go to Brora one day. And as we said in the opening episode, if it had hosted an open, I'd have probably been yeah. there by now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, Paraparam strikes me as being a, a a cousin. Yeah, it's it's understated. It's on some great land. Um, doesn't take does, as much getting to as as Port Ferry, but it takes a bit of getting to. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good comment. Now jumping jumping into the course, and we talked about the farm holes briefly before. I I really enjoy all four of those, and I think that it's one of those cases where like the fault people would say, oh, well, a fault of the course is that it doesn't. It's got those four holes on the farmland. If they had a bit more dunes land, it could be higher rated. And we'll get a bit later to, you know, why it's not higher rated and maybe why it doesn't want to be higher rated. But I really love that those four holes all have merit. They all have little charm to them or interest to them that makes them add value to the course. And I think about that diagonal drive down off the dune at one where you're tempted to veer right and try and get home in two, but there's a lot of marrum and it's early on for losing a ball. You know, you're the skyline green at two, the strategy of 17 where you've got to drive it alongside that post and rail fence on the right to get the angle in. And even, you know, I understand since I've been there, they've moved the T right on 18 to create that angled drive there as well. You know, and the burn obviously plays a role in that hole. I just think all of them are really interesting holes in their own, in their own right. Yeah. There's little puzzles to solve. Uh, they use what little movement, They've got very smartly. The fence line's used really well. Like the, the relationship of that green complex to the fence line on 17 is really smart. There's, it sort of echoes St. Andrew's old to me, thinking that you've got to flirt with danger down one side to get an advantageous angle of approach. Uh, yeah, I think we spoke both about 
Barnboogle and also Lost Farm, perhaps more so Lost Farm, where one of its strengths was that it really used that less remarkable land to great effect. And there were some great built holes on those flatter plots. Uh, and I, I think Port Ferry does the same thing. I don't know. I, I haven't got a... I'm one for reading history books, as some listeners may have gathered by now. Some of the research that I do for each course on each episode is going to the bookshelves and flicking through and trying to learn a little bit about a club, who designed a course, how the courses how the courses had evolved over time. I, I don't have a I don't have a history book for Port Ferry. I don't know I don't know who originally designed Port Ferry. Um, we had uh, hoped to speak with one or two people from uh, the club, but I think time got away from us. They're all too pursuit. modest down in that neck of the woods. Yeah, there's one or two in particular who are too modest. <laughs> um, you know who you are. So, apologies. I would I would love to delve back into the history books regarding who originally laid out the course. Um, on that on that point, have you in all your travels, Scott? Do you get to Dornick? Yes. I again, I have not been there. Is Dornick? <sighs> Is Dornock terraced? Is there a is there a series of holes on one level and then a series of holes that sort of dip below on another level or another tier within the eighteen? Yes, yes. So Dornock's essentially on, I guess, two levels of Dune, and you've sort of got one, two, eighteen, seven, and a bit of eight, and a bit of seventeen that are up on the top. Uh, 16 famously is a long par four that just is like a travelator straight up the hill. But then the balance of the course is right down on the on the sea level. And it's quite a steep it's quite a steep um dune drop that separates the two tiers. Okay. It's funny you mentioned Dornick because when I was when I was going on about the kind of pilgrimage idea before, I was thinking about how I felt when I got to Dornick when I went there. You know, and I was living in London at the time. I wasn't traveling all the way from here, but even traveling from London to get there was a, a big trip. And I remember getting out of the car and walking onto the first tee late in the afternoon the night before I was going to play and just feeling this incredible sense of of place and of connection to it. And it was a big part of it, I think, was the effort and the time and the miles to get there. Um, and I thought the same thing when I got to Port Ferry. You know, you, you hop out of the car and there's that feeling of, I'm here and this is different and special and I feel like I'm somewhere unfamiliar. Yeah. Yeah, I've felt that on, on almost every trip I've ever taken down there. Uh, Luke Iper drove down and back. With, or he drove me down and back in a day. We we got to, we left early in the morning and stopped at a bakery on the way through, played, had dinner, and then got back in the car and came home. I think we got to bed after midnight, maybe after one. But, yeah, that was... So it is do it is doable, but a lot of windscreen time. But yeah, also also marked by that sense of oh, just unbridled happiness, just getting out of the car and and being at that course. Yeah, yeah. My, like you like you would have felt at Dornick. Yeah, and on 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 your repeat plays, there's the added there's the added knowledge that you've got you know, three and five in the first hour of your day and you've got 12 through 16 to look forward to later on. It's, you know, it's great discovering that stuff the first time you go around the course, but then subsequent visits, knowing those treats that are waiting for you. And as you said, that middle of the back nine is really where 
it hits its heights and knowing that that's awaiting you is is a pretty nice pretty nice way to get through the drive yeah we've talked we've talked about uh three hole stretches four hole stretches on several previous episodes and that 12 13 14 15 16 that that string of holes at port ferry uh, we've had a few messages in the lead up to recording this evening and more than one of them has commented about that being the best run of holes in the country mm. and 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 capable of rivaling the stuff that we've mentioned at New South Wales and Royal Melbourne. So yeah, and quite varied in that. Yeah, you know, if you run from twelve to sixteen, you've got a par five, a drivable four, a long four, a par three, and a mid length par four. So you've yeah. got quite a diversity of of holes, and the way they hit the land is is a bit different as well. You've got you know some side hill fairways you you go up up and over on 14 16's kind of got some of the wildest land and maybe the closest you get to the beach on the course it's yeah it's a hell of a run i think that and i mentioned it briefly before but that run of holes being along the ocean it's so beautiful and they're such good holes and it's easy to really fixate on those but away from away from there there is some really great golf that kind of gets a little bit overlooked and i think of holes like uh the the par four third which you know you come out of the you come out of the farmland and wander towards the beach and you've got this great par four with a green benched up on the hill rollicking fairway it's a really great introduction to the better land that you're going to play on and Mm. then five as well um is a par five that again climbs a hill towards the green and is just this beautiful lay of the land green site that falls off the hill and doesn't get a lot of love, I guess, when people talk about their favourite holes because it doesn't have the sea view, but probably one of the holes that I think about the most there. You know, there's those quality holes are dotted right throughout the throughout the round. Yeah, I, I love seven, which is a, a downhill tee shot, dog leg left, and then slightly elevated approach. To a reasonably sized green, just again not the not the most dramatic land throughout the course. You sort of leave the sand dunes and walk down onto flatter land in the in the in the drive landing zone, but just really smartly used. Mm. You 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 want to hug the left side with your approach or with your drive rather, so that you've got a better approach and you've got all the space in the world, right? But um, you're going to pay for actually- it on approach. Back to your question about Dornick before, and I, this isn't a comp I've ever really thought about, but it just keeps coming into my head now. Seven, you yeah, so eight, eight and seventeen at Dornick famously go between the high ground and the low ground with quite steep downhill drives, and then these kind of flat to slightly uphill approach shots, and and seven at seven at Port Ferry is actually a really similar style of hole to those. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I've I've never thought about the two as siblings, you know, and perhaps because Dornick has that much bigger championship nature to its scale. But yeah, there's actually quite a lot now that we're going through it that that jumps into my head about the two. I'd always not having been there, so that's the caveat that I'd put on it. But I'd I'd always had that feel that Port Ferry was terraced a little. Yeah, but there, uh, and I'd I'd wondered if I'd wondered if that was comparable to what people see at Dornick. Yeah. Well, well done, mate, because without going to Dornick, you've nailed that, I think. Uh, and, of course, if people think that's an absolute 
you know, BS comparison, feel free to send us those thoughts. Uh, the country golf club vibe for me is, is a really great part of going down there. And just the fact that it's not, I mean, I love Barwon Heads, but Barwon Heads is a very well-to-do place and it does sort of have that, you know, it has a great atmosphere, but it's a, it's a very prosperous sort of atmosphere. I like that the clubhouse at, at Port Ferry is just sort of one, one big room with, you know, a Bain-Marie and a drinks fridge and just feels like the kind of place that the locals go and have a drink and, you know, Famously, a friend of ours won a winter monthly medal wearing jeans, a hoodie, and a Van Halen t-shirt at Port Ferry. I just that. really like that that lack of pretense because I think it does speak to what we've kind of touched on, which is that club and its members have absolute comfort in who they are and what their club is, and there's no underlying need to try and be something other than, than what it is. Yeah, the, the, I was going to mention the clubhouse earlier. It feels like a school hall in some ways. Mm. It's no great adornment. Um, does but what it's, it needs it's, to it, do. I was going to say, it does what it needs to do, and it's perfect for where it is, which is what you want. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we had um, we had a couple of questions from Chris Van Diemen and Mark Panopoulos, who essentially asked the same thing, which was, what is needed to take the course to the next level in terms of ranking? and I feel like you could improve Port Ferry, and of course they have significantly over the last twenty years, pulling out you know vegetation and tweaking holes and opening up views over the water and and within the course. But gosh, I feel like if you did too much more, or if you really did a lot with a view to making it rank better, you really be at risk of ruining what's special about it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be going on a quest to try and change the course for the sake of going up the ranking points a few notches. I'd, yeah, I'd be cherishing what's there. I think that whoever's been guiding the course in terms of their vegetation management, pulling out tea tree, just cherishing what they have and maximising what they have is on the right path. Um, the thing it probably needs to rate higher as well is more visits by raiders, and. The problem is, too, you start to try to do work to, you know, improve for whatever that view of whoever's improving it might think and, and increase its ranking. Well, then you spend money doing that. So the green fee goes up and the membership fee goes up for the locals. And it, I think it mucks around a bit with, with the the way that the place just kind of exists. And it's a good value membership for locals. It's a affordable green fee for visitors. Although, I mean, and, and and you and I obviously are rankings panelists, and I I don't I have a, I don't ask for for freebies. If I'm going to go somewhere, I think I'm going there because I want to play there. And the fact I'm ranking it shouldn't really matter to anyone because it's just my opinion, and I don't know how little that's worth. You hear stories of raiders going to Port Ferry and asking for a comp round for them and their group, and I just think that is one place that. If you're shaking down Port Ferry for a free round of golf because you rate for a magazine, honestly, you're a confirmed scumbag. Yeah, of all the places, like not not great practice and not smart to do that either. You want you want some independence. I think when you go as a 
as a, a judge or someone who's assessing a course, the anonymity is a wonderful thing as well. But to yeah, to try and skip yeah. through there without it's having like pinching a fiver off your nan's kitchen bench, like yeah. you can't feel good about it. Yeah. Anyway, I I've heard I've heard that a couple of times about different groups, and I just think, God, like this place is this place is special and needs to be kind of celebrated and protected, and you can't support it if you're going there to just take. Yeah, agreed. So we agree that. Course doesn't want to pursue a higher ranking, we think, because you'd risk ruining it. Yeah, I I think it would be complete folly just trying to change it for the sake of ascending the rankings. My my question without notice for you, Scott, if it were inside 90 minutes trip from Melbourne, so it was far more accessible for a greater range of golfers and people who espouse their opinions on courses, how high would it reasonably get? I think that it has a ceiling based on the fact that some of the stuff you and I have talked about being charming to us and being a feature of the place, I can see a good amount of people might view that as a detriment. And so, you know, for instance, the farmland holes and the conditioning that's completely in keeping with where it is and what it is, you get within 90 minutes of Melbourne and I'm just thinking about this on the go, you've got Barwon Heads and 13th Beach and you've got, um, and I'm just thinking about publicly accessible places, you've got the Dunes and you've got St Andrews Beach. They're all much more designed. They're probably a bit more cohesive in terms of like thematically. You know, they've been deliberately built and designed to feel the same and to replicate features and Port Ferry was clearly designed and it's had work from Mike Clayton and co over the years. I'm not suggesting it just came to be like the old course, but I do feel like it much more just, just exists because the land was such and the green was built and, or maybe a bunker should go here or I feel like it's kind of evolved more than being, designed in one go like those courses. And so I think those courses, a lot of them sit in that 15 to 20 range. And I just can't see enough consensus that would push Port Ferry higher than that. So I think probably, I think probably low twenties and it's got, well, so uh, Newcastle is also pretty far from anywhere not as far as Port Ferry, but, you know, Newcastle in the current scheme of things with all the new courses that have been built now, I think is in your 25 sort of range. I think that's probably, I mean, that's probably where I already see Port Ferry, but you know, if I go to Melbourne or I go to Port Ferry, I'm already still traveling a long way. So the notion of how far it is out of town doesn't really, I think that's more probably a Melbourneian state of mind, but would you have it higher than that, in terms no, of? I think I think that's I think that's where I'd where I'd probably view it already, and I lament that not everyone does. Um, there's an edit yeah. for us. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually an alarm. That's an or alarm not. to remind me to move my kids el- my kids elf on the shelf. <laughs> so, yeah, excellent. There you go. This is the this is yeah. No editing. This is what it looks like. Um, 
The thing I would say, though, in terms of lists is that if someone was coming to Australia and was going to wanted to see everything and they asked me to draw them up a list of what courses do I need to see in order, I think Port Ferry would probably be sixth or seventh on that list, certainly in the top ten. Okay. But I would That's say a... you come to Australia of... and you want to see Australia and see Australian golf and everything that means, that's in the that's in the real top tier plan your trip around it kind of stuff for me. Yeah, that's good advice. That's probably a touch higher than I would have it. But it's I, it's certainly thinking of thinking of friends who would who would be making a holiday and maybe a once in a lifetime trip to Australia. Driving down that coast would be one brilliant component of their time here. And I think I want to say that Solly had some time here by himself after he did tourist source. In Australia, Solly from in no Australia. laying up for the one or two listeners who maybe aren't also no laying up listeners, but yeah, back in 2017. I think he went down there and then came back to Melbourne before going to Sydney and flying home. And he, yeah, I, my memory is that he really enjoyed going down there and, and seeing seeing the coast and, and that part of the world. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, no one's going to go there and think, oh, it's a shame I went to Port Ferry. I could have played, you know, two more sandbelt courses. No, God, no. No one's no one's thinking that. No way. So we can't just fillet the course and the club completely, the whole episode. Weak holes. Yeah, notwithstanding, we've just finished saying, you shouldn't touch Weak it too holes. much, you'd ruin it. What holes might you fiddle with? Hmm. I want to say the fourth, the par three, four or five iron hole. It's yeah. okay. It's not offensive. It's a bit nondescript. Yeah, you can do a tiny bit more with it. You could get a little bit more creative or a little more artful with the green, perhaps. Uh, whether or not you said that about 11, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, conversely, I think 10, 11, 10 11 for me are fine holes. They get you from the end of the front nine to the 12th tee. Yeah. I remember missing 11 green pin high right and having fits. So it's not without difficulty. Mm-hmm. No. Um, conversely, just uh, so eight, the little downhill, the drop shot par three with the smaller green and the bunkers both sides. Yeah. Some people might say that that's slightly over-designed in comparison to everything else on the layout. And so they might dial that down a touch. Yeah, and no, I agree with that. I think in isolation, that's a really cool hole. Fun green, good bunkering. You look out, it's kind of, you look out over the farmland looking away from the beach. It's quite a nice agricultural Aussie kind of outlook and view. But yeah, no, I think you're right that that green, and I think that's the, that's the risk see in tweaking these old, very simple golf courses, because I don't think any golf architect can actually resist, even if their instruction is to make a change that is going to happen you know, in isolation and you're not going to redo 18 greens. So make a change that's in keeping with the, with the rest of the course. I think designers just can't help, but design what they like or what they think or what they see in their creative eye. And you see it so often that, you know, a green gets rebuilt and you think, well, it's good green. It's not like the other 17. I think as I've as I've got older and the more I've looked and the more I've learnt, I've come to the realization that it must just 
it must be so inordinately difficult to construct one green that is very, very similar to older ones around it. Uh, yeah. It, it, it seems it seems to be a very difficult thing to do, just from construction purposes as much as anything else. So. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And, I mean, that's the other the other consideration is that you take these old courses that were built with shovels and horse-drawn plows in the case of RM. You can't, you know, even now you hear architects talking about building and they talk about using, um, you know, this type of dozer versus this type of um, earth-moving machinery and you can't, you know, you can use a D5 dozer, but it won't make the same shapes as this piece of machinery. You know, if even two pieces of heavy machinery are going to produce different results in terms of shaping, you know, using 21st century machinery versus, you know, a handful of blokes with shovels and wheelbarrows, it's not, you know, it's probably impossible to to replicate. Yeah. Well, I, I remember the first time I visited Barnboogle that, Steve, who travelled down there with me, said that the greens just looked like they'd been mowed closer than the, the rest of the grass on the property. And I have that feeling with a lot of the greens at Port Ferry. You know, yeah. Think of 10 like that, 12 like that, 13 like that, 15 like that a little bit. Uh, yeah. And if you've got modern equipment, you're not going to end up with an aesthetic that, that bears a great deal of resemblance to those greens. Yeah. And we had another great Insta message from Josh Martin, who I who not a question, but made an observation about the course that you and I were both sort of like, yeah, actually, that's a really good point when we read it, was that the use of the topography, particularly the long straight par fours, all built into hills with wide sloping fairways. Seemingly simple holes, but a stiff wind and the fairway slope makes a nerve-wracking tee shot and a tough challenge. And he calls out holes like 9, 10, 12, 13, and 14, that those side sloping fairways really are now that he says it i think well how did that not already occur to me you know those sloping fairways are a real feature of the course and kind of reward placement and shaping to get to the side that you want to be on yeah 13 i reckon is the poster child for that mm -hmm. if it's been a windy day and you've not really put lots of points on the card prior to getting to the 13th tee, you'd see the flag waving in the distance and automatically reach for the driver and think, oh, I can get there and repair some of the damage. But it's it's so much smarter so often to just take something a bit shorter and fade it into that slope and keep your ball in play and, and make your hay with the approach shots and the putting. Um, yeah. And those side slopes too, I think, speak to that rustic design of the golf course that if it were more modern... Uh, probably have a lot of those fairways flattened out more rather yeah. than just that natural slope of the of the dune. I think that's one of those things that supports that idea and it's a romantic idea, but that, you know, the course has just been laid out over what was there and not really disturbed that natural terrain. And I think those side slopes really are a big part of that. They are. Uh, we got a. Did we get a question about what other courses to visit down in that neck of the woods if you were going to make like a multi-day trip? Yes, down there and back. We did. Now I can't help with this because I just played Port Ferry as much as I possibly can. So you're more well-travelled in that neck of the woods. So where else are people going to play golf on the Shipwreck Coast? 
So the closest 18 is at Warrnambool, so mm-hmm. Mark, Leish, Mark Leishman's home club. Yep. Which is in a reasonable spot, but uh, obviously not as remarkable a course as Port Ferry. There's a couple of little quirky nine-holers that you can encounter on your way down there, and I think the the two leading lights in that regard are Peterborough and also Polo Bay. Uh, they're not going to win any great mentions in Doak's Confidential Guide, but they're great fun and they're great experiences and and cool places to hit a ball for an hour, hour and a half, just a quick jaunt around those little places right next to the water, and particularly Peterborough. For those of you who bought Caddy magazine while it was in print, uh, there's an addition and some great shots of Peterborough there from Will Watt. Uh, I'll see if I can get one or two of those up on Insta just after we publish the podcast. So they're, they're definitely places worth visiting on your way down there or back. And now if the driving is a feature and you do want to see more of Australia, We've talked about Adelaide and its great golf courses in previous episodes. If you keep driving another six hours, you you get through, you get through, I think it's the Coonawarra wine region and up through South Australia into Adelaide. Have you ever done that drive? Once, yep. So we went through Portland and then we ended up going through Mount Gambier with the Blue Lake, Mm -hmm. past all those wine regions, as you said. Coonawarra and McLaren Vale, and then we ended up getting to Adelaide. Yeah. Do you recommend you go, it? Oh, the the Robe is a phenomenal spot. Mm-hmm. It was a family holiday that we did. My dad did the driving, and I was much much younger. Uh, you've you've planted a seed though, because I would, I would do that again with my family. That would be a great road trip. Robe, Robe in particular, which um, yeah, just glorious coastline there. That would that would be a great place to stop for a day on that multi-day trip. Robe's uh, home to a 12-hole golf course, isn't it? My my memory is that there's going to be some Yeah, there's a, there's a proposed development to expand it, but I think at the moment it's a 12-holer. Okay. There's a, there was a 12-holer at Ocean Grove for a while too that was not that remarkable, but sort of harks back to the first opens with 12 mm. holes. I was going to say, it's yeah. an Australian shiskin, maybe. <laughs> Robes about yeah. as remote as shiskin. Yeah. But that would be, yeah, if you had if you had a lot of time and you were, and Melbourne and Adelaide were both on your itinerary, there are, there are way worse ways to spend your time than do that by car. Yeah. It's, it gets back to how much time you've got, really. And well, that's exactly right. Trip. That's always going to be the variable, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Matty, I feel like I've sort of exhausted my knowledge of Port Ferry. I feel like I've I've waxed lyrical enough for one episode. Any closing thoughts before we close the book on Port Ferry in twenty twenty two? No, I think we've I think we've done her justice. We've sung sung the high praises of the course and and looked at the looked at the strengths and uh, yeah, just really implore people to try and get down there and yeah, and just go there. You won't. I'll, I'll give you your money back if you play Port Ferry and and you don't think it's worth 50 or 60 bucks. I mean, yeah. it's a no-brainer. And it's a great part of Australia. It's a very Australian part of Australia. Uh, and the locals are, are very welcoming and deserving of, of your visit. So go spend some money there. Yeah. Um, just with an eye to the next year, really looking forward to some of the discussions that we've got queued up and 
podcasts that'll get released in the first quarter of the next year. Mm. Uh, we've listened to the feedback from the questions and answer episode. Uh, PK is on the horizon. Wickham's on the horizon. Royal Adelaide's on the horizon. Uh, we've got one or two other little gems in there that I'll, I'll we'll mention closer to the day. But yeah, there's lots of good stuff. So for those of you who've enjoyed the podcast thus far, thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoy it even more in the coming year. Yeah, absolutely. And have a safe Christmas and New Year. Have a great bit of time with your family if you've got some time off work. And again, thanks so much for indulging us this year, launching this podcast, supporting us and encouraging us. It means a lot to us. And we're looking forward to a couple of weeks off ourselves and we'll be back very soon. We will. You enjoy your holidays too, Scott. Look forward to hearing about it when you return. Cheers, Matty. You too.